Hi everyone, this is Sam Black, and this week I'm doing something a little unusual. I'm going to be discussing the Arena Cube, kind of a big picture sense, not looking at any particular archetypes really. The reason I'm doing this is that there is an Arena Cube open this coming weekend, and we're kind of between sets. Uh, interest in Lord of the Rings is tapering off as we start to get ready for Wilds of Eldraine and... We don't really have full spoilers out for Wilds of Eldrain, so this week I'm talking about uh, the Arena Cube, and then next week I should be able to take an early look at Wilds of Eldrain. So that's what we're doing here. As always, notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. I don't usually like to lean too much on 17 lands stats for cubes, the whole thing is just pretty different when like you don't have commons and every card is equally rare and uh, cards are kind of designed to fit in like pretty different strategies and the different strategies are differently straightforward to draft, differently common to draft. You can't really control for when cards are played in you know, good or bad contexts very easily. The format's kind of a little bit more complicated and varied and nuanced in a way that doesn't lend itself super well to 17 land stats, especially for individual cards. But since this cube uh, hasn't been out for very long, I don't have a ton of personal experience to draw from. So instead, I spent some time looking over 17 lands to figure out, you know, what utility I could find, and I thought I would present that as best I can here. So I started by opening recent trophy decks on 17 lands to get a sense of what's doing well. And when I did that, the top 12 decks were all white. Uh, a vast majority of them were white red, uh, usually not very many colors, one to three, maybe two on average, and none of them were green. So uh, as I scrolled down, uh, there was a wider range of decks. It wasn't just all white all the time, but it was still the case that in general, red, white, and blue seemed to trophy appreciably more often than green and black. And then that kind of bore out in the play rates and win rates for the cards grouped by color. Red is the most played color, I assess, based on uh, looking at just how many games played each red card has compared to how many games played the other cards have. So it seems like people play red more often, blue and white comparable to each other and behind that, and then green and black comparable to each other and significantly behind blue and white. So that's kind of what's going on big picture in terms of like which, car, which colors people default to or are drawn to in this cube. And then from there, I kind of just looked at each color individually um, to see what trends existed in uh, each color. So... Something I got to late that I kind of want to start with because it's an important disclaimer. When I got to green, Llanowar Visionary was the top green common by a lot. Llanowar Visionary is a good card, does basically what you're looking for. Surprised to see it like 2% ahead of the next best card, but whatever. Uh, Llanowar Visionary, very good. That's the three mana 2-2 that taps for a green and draws a card when it enters. But what I wanted to point out is that Llanowar Elves perform 3% better, like have a 3% higher uh, game and hand win rate than Elvish Mystic. Uh, these are the same card. There's literally no gameplay difference between Llanowar Elves and Elvish Mystic, but Llanowar Elves wins 3% more 
and uh, Llanowar Elves has a 6.7% improvement when drawn, compared to Elvish Mystic's 1%. If I were looking at any other two cards, and there was a 3% difference in game and hand win rate, and a uh, almost uh, 6% difference in improvement when drawn, I would assume that these were significantly different cards, and that one was appreciably better than the other. The fact that they uh, are the same card and have these stats should really serve to highlight just how much variance there is in these stats. Like, 3% three, 3% is really a lot in the context of how wide the range is on cards in general. So, really highlights the extent to which, especially early on with these small uh, sample sizes, a lot of this is just like, mythologizing and making narratives about random numbers. So that's just something to keep in mind. That is to say, anytime I'm getting into the nuances of like which cards perform better based on the stats than the others, take it with a big grain of salt. I looked at trends because it's what I have to work with, but yeah, keep that in mind. So in white, Benelish Knight Counselor. This is an arena-only card. It's a 2-1 for 1 with Enlist that like pumps up another guy that you play. It's the best-performing white common. It has a relatively weak improvement when drawn and not the highest play rate. The low improvement when drawn is because it's the kind of card that's going to be bad in long games. I suspect that like this card's stats being exceptional say a lot less about how good this actual card is. And I think what's really happening is this is a card that you really only play in aggressive white decks, and it performing well among white cards suggests that aggressive white decks probably perform well among white decks. So while I think that, you know, the uh, win rates for individual cards uh, against each other should be taken with a large grain of salt. Seeing a card that's not played very much, but clearly points to a particular deck as like where its stats are coming from, uh, does suggest something. And that suggestion to take a step out and look at this in a bigger picture uh, does make a lot of sense in this cube. Um, specifically, the reason that I think that white aggressive decks and really aggressive decks in a whole do well is that this cube has an exceptionally high number of counter spells. I believe when I counted, uh, if I didn't miscount, there are 18 blue cards that can counter spells. That's a lot. A lot of them are good. A lot of the top performing blue cards that I'll get to soon are counter spells. And there being that many counter spells in the format is very punishing to cards that cost more mana in general. A lot of the uh, Trophy winning decks are decks that just have tons of two drops and then uh, a lower curve after that. Not all of them, but I think that that's generally a good way to approach this cube is just to like have a low curve to get under the counter spells. And then the decks that are going to succeed, especially early, are the decks that just kind of naturally do that, which are the aggressive decks. And so makes sense to me that especially early when people aren't necessarily used to like how to adjust other like decks with more expensive spells to a very counterspell heavy metagame that uh, just kind of the like low to the ground decks are going to perform well, kind of like preying on these blue decks. 
So Ben Oshnight, counselor, top performing white common with the Wandering Emperor and Elish Norn Grand Cenobite are next. Uh, I think both of those cards are just really strong. Elish Norn Grand Cenobite notably also is played relatively little uh, like Ben Knight Counselor, but presumably in almost exclusively non-overlapping decks. Elish Norn Grand Cenobite, that's the seven mana Elish Norn that gives your creatures plus two plus two and your and opposing creatures minus two minus two. Um, is like a really strong card, but it doesn't fit in very many decks because not all that many white decks are looking to play seven mana spells, but uh, it is super high impact when you resolve it. It's a strong card. Um, it just doesn't go in that many decks. Uh, Wandering Emperor is versatile and goes in basically every white deck, and it's just a really, really strong card. Thraben Inspector and Adanto Vanguard stand out as cards that people play frequently but don't have really good win rates. I'm still a Thraben Inspector fan, but it is what it is. I would suspect that Thraben Inspector is less punishing to the blue decks than other early creatures, and that Adanto Vanguard isn't very good uh, in an aggressive metagame where like both people are aggressive. It's better against uh, decks that are like trying to block or play removal, and so both of those cards might only be good against a portion of the metagame rather than good against everyone, which might account for both of them having lower aggregate stats. Other notable stats, Welcoming Vampire, the 2-3 that draws a card when you uh, play a small creature, underperforms, so do Loran of the Third Path and Emiria's Call. March of Otherworldly Light and Touch the Spell uh, Spirit Realm are worse. Other cards that don't perform well, Settle the Wreckage, Charming Prince, Seal Away, Elish Norn, the four mana one, Rabble Rousing, Kenrith. I don't know exactly what you should do with a random list of cards that don't do well, but there you have it. Uh, I, I guess I would say um, it's kind of some like mid range type stuff, um, airing a little bit more controlling, generally lacking focus, suggests that, you know, the, the white decks really. I perform best in aggregate with like a focused aggressive plan. Big winners, Restoration of Iganjo, Soon's Intervention, Archangel Elspeth, Thalia, Gra Guardian of Thraben, Dauntless Bodyguard, and Giver of Runes. Big winners here, meaning cards that have relatively high win rates to how frequently they're played. Um, so these are like overperformers. Restoration of Iganjo kind of uh, argues against what I was saying about like focused aggressive being the only way to go with white. I think of that as kind of a structurally similar card to Welcoming Vampire, but it's nice that it gives you like guaranteed value more than uh, Welcoming Vampire does. Soon's Intervention has just always been fantastic. That's the uh, six mana instant with a bunch of modes. Archangel Elspeth, uh, I wasn't expecting to um, be as good as it is. Thalia beating up on blue decks makes total sense to me. Um, and then Dauntless Bodyguard and Giver of Runes are just other good aggressive white creatures, so that's pretty coherent. Blue, the top performing card by a lot is Sensor. Little unexpected to me that it does like several percent better than Counterspell, but again, several percent might not mean anything. Another bigger surprise, the second best performing blue card is Frost Titan. Um, Frost Titan is not a card that I think gets a lot of respect. Uh, I am among the people who don't give it a lot of respect. It doesn't have a lot of games played, but it has enough to have an impressive win rate relative to other blue commons. But again, 
I would take that number in particular with a very large grain of salt, as I suspect that its sample size is like just big enough to give it stats at all. Counterspells and flash creatures perform well and make up like all of the rest of Blue's top commons. Um, it's just a list of alternating or, well, you know, a group of counterspells, maybe it's some flash creatures that play well with counterspells. It's, it's, it's really just all that. Um, worst performing cards... Champion of Wits, The Modern Age, Search for Ascanta, Teferi, Temporal Pilgrim, which is noteworthy since it did pretty well for me yesterday, though certainly there are some games that I've played where it's just bad and doesn't really do anything. There are other games where it's where it dominates. High Variance Card, that's the Teferi that um, gets loyalty whenever you draw cards and can make tutus that get bigger when you draw cards. Uh, Baral's Expertise, Absorb Energy, the most cancel type card in the format. Uh, it's cancel, but your cards in hand get cheaper if they share a type with the thing that you canceled. And God Eternal Kefnet. Uh, this is ignoring cards that don't have stats. Most overplayed card, card that people play a lot that doesn't have great stats, Chrome Host Seed Shark. So maybe, maybe cool off on that one a little bit. And most underplayed is apparently Frost Titan. People don't play it much, and it has crazy stats at the moment. But yeah, the, the main takeaway from Blue is just how many counterspells there are and the extent to which I think that that makes you really want to play uh, a low curve in general. Top performing black card is Undercity Plunder. That's uh, an arena-only card, two mana, your opponent discards a card, and then they choose whether they give you a copy of a card in their hand or discard another card. And then Shieldred, not Shieldred the Apocalypse, the five mana Shieldred, then Breach the Multiverse, then Shieldred the Apocalypse, and then Deadly Dispute. The uh, worst performing black cards, ignoring those with insufficient data, Invasion of Fiori, uh, Fiora, the six mana Wrath, Morbid Opportunist, Unburial Rites, Collective Brutality, Gix, Yogmoth Praetor, Vran, Executioner Thane, and Black Sun's Twilight. Uh, overplayed cards, Gonti, Valky, Murderous Rider. Underplayed cards, Gutterbones, Shambling Gast, Deadly Dispute. Uh, those cards performing well and not being played very much. It makes sense that those cards aren't very, played very much because they go in one specific kind of black deck. The fact that they all have good stats suggests that that like, small creature sacrifice package that doesn't go in every black deck uh, is performing relatively well. That kind of makes sense. It's the low curve black deck. It's like black doesn't have a very good like actual aggro deck, but um, it does have a pocket of cheap cards that play well with other cheap cards. And it would make sense to me that like those would do well in the counterspell format. Again, black as a whole doesn't do super well and isn't very played. I would say this cube is not very black friendly, and I think that it makes sense to somewhat avoid black. I think that black can like sometimes struggle with aggressive decks, especially aggressive red decks. And I think that like the black mid-range decks can have a problem with the counter spells, and then the black like fast decks. Yeah, I think they are just like not great against the red fast decks, and red's the most played thing, so it's kind of awkward there. That said, I think that if you find good synergies in the like low curve black space, the fact that black is underdrafted, 
uh, means that you can, you know, get a good version of that deck. Red, the most played color, top performing cards are Phoenix of Ash, Fanatical Firebrand, that's the 1-1 haste that taps and sacrifices to do a damage to anything. Rada's Firebrand, that's the 3-1 that can stop things from blocking for two with the, like a domain pump ability. Kumano faces Kakazan, Inferno Titan, uh, Seasoned Pyromancer, Lightning Bolt, and Fable, uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and Hellrider. Notably, all of the cards uh, ahead of Lightning Bolt are not played very often, even sorry, Seasoned Pyromancer. And so their higher win rate, you know, it, it largely, I think, suggests the serious, like, aggro red deck does well and likes those cards. Uh, Lightning Bolt and Fable of the Mirror Breaker are the most played cards and are very good. But I think that, you know, like Lightning Bolt and Fable are probably better cards that you should take over those other cards. Even though the other cards have higher win rates, the other cards, I think, are mostly just showing that like Mono Red and Red White Aggro decks are doing well and those show up in them. The worst performing cards in red are Dragon Master Outcast, the one one that makes dragons if you have six lands, Big Score, Magmatic Channeler, Invasion of Mercadia, Light Up the Stage, Fight with Fire, Brotherhood's End. Yeah, a braid is actually has strikingly bad stats. Like it, looking at cards that stand out as having bad stats for how often they're played, really a braid is like the only one that stands out. Uh, a braid and Volcanic Spite are the two that I noted as having poor stats for their play rate with a braid really being more uh, more exceptional. And then underplayed Fanatical Firebrand, the Elder Dragon War, and Zealous Conscripts all have like good stats for how often they're played. I assume that the relatively, uh, the relatively poor performance of removal that can't targets players suggests that red usually performs best in aggressive decks and that like those cards... I don't know if they're struggling because people are playing them in decks that are like not base red and looking f to, you know, shore up a longer game plan with some early red removal, or if it's that they're weaker in like the aggressive red decks or both. I suspect probably both. I don't think that that means that you shouldn't play a braid or a volcanic spite in your like mid range and control decks. I think that they are good removal spells for those decks. It just suggests that those decks don't perform in aggregate as well as like the aggressive red decks. Um, and so those cards have lower win rates than other red cards. With all this stuff, remember that the cards win rates suggests a lot more of, about how much decks that play them win and how well they play in those decks rather than like whether it is ever correct to play the cards. So green, as I mentioned before, Lanora Visionary is the best performing card, followed by Nissa who shakes the world, Essica's Chariot, Kogla the Titan Ape, Lanora Elves, and Avacyn's Pilgrim, but obviously not Elvish Mystic for very good reasons that are entirely related to the relative strength of those two cards. I would say that uh, green's Cards that perform well in aggregate suggest that, you know, you want to play some ramp into uh, Planeswalkers or other cards that kind of generate immediate value. Uh, so creatures and artifacts in Eskis Chariot case with like good enter the battlefield abilities. And 
Green's Bottom Performing Cards, Toski, Bearer of Secrets, Timeless Witness, Essica, God of the Trees, Terra Sunder, Ovenwald Oddity, Augur of Autumn, and Briarbridge Tracker, uh, suggesting that kind of the green, like, mid-range value place that uh, I kind of enjoy playing doesn't do very well here. That's not terribly surprising. Those kind of, like, mid-range multicolor green decks really struggle with a bunch of counter spells and can certainly uh, end up, you know, behind against the aggressive decks if they don't have, like, dedicated cards that are, like, there for that matchup. And the more of those, like, anti-aggro cards you play, the worse your, like, counterspell matchups get. So um, kind of an awkward squeeze for the mid-range green decks that aren't just, like, proactive, uh, like, big aggro ramp decks, which is where I think green wants to try to end up. Multicolor, top-performing cards, Prismari Command, Maelstrom Pulse, Blood Tithe Harvester, Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and Crucius, Titan of Waves. Maelstrom Pulse performing particularly well is surprising to me. Outside of that, I'm not really sure what the takeaway from this is. The worst-performing cards are 5-mana Tatiova, Fiend Artisan, 3-mana Kiora, Behemoth Beckoner, the one that's played in Mono Green Devotion Pioneer. Uh, Anguished Unmaking, and Older Ravenguard Marshall. Those cards just aren't very good, so uh, not too surprising, I suppose. Didn't try to like glean a whole lot from Multicolor outside of just kind of glancing at which cards uh, perform well and poorly overall. Um, top performing colorless card, Bomat Courier. Uh, read into that exactly what you would expect. Red does better than colorless, so Beaumont Courier is basically like a red card. And then Mutavault, Retrofitter Foundry, Den of the Bugbear, Sky Sovereign, Guardian Idol, and Mindstone. Um, so aggressive red cards, uh, Retrofitter Foundry, Mutavault being a good aggressive land makes total sense to see it up there. Sky Sovereign is generally pretty strong, and then the two mana ramp is uh, good. Kind of, of course, but the nature of the cube could call that into question, I suppose. Bottom performing, Field of Ruin, Field of the Dead, and Ulamog Ceaseless Hunger. Field of the Dead being uh, one of the bottom performing cards is certainly noteworthy. Field of the Dead is very strong. If you are in the Field of the Dead deck, you do want Field of the Dead. That is to say, if you're playing, you know, like a multicolor deck with a bunch of different non-basic lands, and then Field of the Dead is going to make your deck better, I believe. But uh, that kind of deck does really struggle between the pressures of early aggression and cheap counter spells. So conclusion, to the extent that I have one, uh, when in doubt, lean toward white or red aggro or blue with a lot of counter spells. Uh, if you're an aggressive player, you should probably just be taking white and or red aggressive cards. If you are a control player, just start by taking blue counter spells and then figure out your support color if you have one. Playing decks with higher curves and more colors is risky. Uh, I'm in danger. <laughs> and like it can be particularly hard for other decks to be well set up against both the aggressive creatures and the counter spells. So... Uh, if you're trying to play a different deck, make sure that you really understand how to draft that deck such that it has a plan against those things in particular. So that's kind of 
what I was able to get from the stats and leans up it lines up reasonably well with my experience. I, I do think that like as far as defining characteristics of this cube uniquely, I think that red aggressive decks performing well in the arena cube is certainly nothing new, but uh, I think this cube is really largely um, defined or at least constrained by the uh, wide number, the, like just large number of counter spells in the cube. So that's what I have. And now I'd like to turn it over to uh, chat for questions and discussion. Also, usual reminder that uh, patreon.com slash drafting archetypes is the most uh, direct way to support this podcast if that's something you're invested in doing and uh if um you'd like to support the podcast another way leaving reviews and suggesting it to friends or tweeting about things that you've found interesting from it are all uh great avenues to promote the podcast all right so questions thoughts on the four mana counters like dismiss uh and kindred denial I like Dismiss more than Kindred Denial because it doesn't really miss. Like, Kindred Denial, sometimes you'll counter something and you won't have a thing of the appropriate cost. I like both of them. I do think that they're worse than, like, the two-mana counter spells, uh, or at least the two-mana hard counters or counters that are good against every deck, like Counterspell and Sensor, and arguably Make Disappear. Um, but I, I think that they are cards that I'm generally happy to play. Which companions have I had the most success with? Lutri is the companion that I've played as a companion. Lutri is good. The last time I tried playing Luris in an arena cube, I had some problems. It has been good other times, but it felt risky. Gigantha generally feels like it costs way too much in terms of card quality. Uh, Yorian, I think, also... Okay, Yorian, I think, also generally costs too much in terms of card quality. Karuga seems like it would be an absolute disaster in this cube. I think that's what I have to say about uh, companions. Notice that blue-white, blue-green, and blue-red are the highest win rate color pairs in best of one. Would this suggest that more controlling decks are doing better? Uh, because even in best of win uh, one, they're higher win rate. I think that blue is really good in this counter in this cube because the counter spells are so good, and red being overdrafted, and then yeah, I mean it. It is certainly it would not surprise me if the best place to be in general is. A blue deck. I think that the uh, like red and white aggro decks dangerous to like reliably try to be because uh, I think that like the they don't necessarily pivot out well if other people in your pod are trying to do the same thing. Whereas I think that like the multicolor blue decks can kind of cooperate with other draft or navigate having other drafters in some of their colors a little more safely but i don't know a lot more than that about it i've been having a lot of success in best of three with blue black control that makes sense to me uh usually i find uh, my way there after starting blue and picking uh languish or extinction event 
Uh, would you say that's a good approach or should I keep open and not pick a sweeper uh, and force myself into blue black? I have found that I like extinction event more than languish. I haven't found the sweepers to be all that crucial or hard to find, I guess. And if your goal is blue plus sweeper, you can do it in uh, blue red or blue black instead or blue white instead. I think that in general, the strategy start with like blue cards that trade up on mana and then figure out what support is open while expecting to be a control deck and looking for support that's going to specifically hedge against aggressive decks is uh, a coherent approach to this cube. Are there resources that you find specifically useful for adapting to the aggressive meta when trying to draft more value-oriented decks? Uh, cheap removal and good defensive creatures like Blade Splicer and uh, Refractor Mage, whatever, reflect, whatever the, the three-mana bounce guy that I can't believe I don't know the exact name of right now. Thraven Inspector, Blade Splicer, like any of those kind of like value creature, uh, Reflector Mage. Um, and then uh, the mono blue re flash reflector mage, um, uh, the bouncer, that guy's really good. Just in general, like defensive creatures with enter the battlefield abilities are generally going to line up well against aggressive decks. Is it true that you should draft cheaper cards to cover four, five, and six drops no matter the deck? Oh, over. Cheaper drafts over four, five, and six drops no matter the deck. I mean, there are exceptions, right? There are four, five, and six mana spells that are just like uh disproportionately good but i would say like when in doubt uh this cube rewards taking the cheaper card such that like if your experience in other cubes is that there are two cards that you like about as much in this cube in particular the one that is cheaper is probably going to be better am i pack one pick one taking the end gamers like atali and emrakul or valuing low and breach or valuing low curve stuff more um, so some of the like curve topper type stuff is exceptionally good. Like breach is a strong card and I could see starting with that over, you know, if it's a weak pack and there aren't really any standouts lower on the curve and then you like have that end game that, you know, that you're drafting toward. But I do think that, you know, a lot of the time you'd be better off. I think that I usually want to first pick a like really flexible card that's going to be good anywhere something like cold cold steel heart lightning bolt swords to plowshares counter spell you know a, a card that's just efficient and um gonna like trade up on mana and um not lock me into a particular strategy it's my approach personally uh, i think there are other people who know that they want to draft an aggressive deck and then they're more likely to just take the good aggressive card or know that they like to have some top end to build toward and then might like take that expense that like premium top end card but for me i think that the best you can do early is generally to just take uh versatile strong cards uh recently listened to lucky paper radio where the guest mentioned that forcing archetypes is stronger in cube than in retail draft. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think that part of this is that there are more different decks in cube. And so if there's a particular deck that you like, 
especially if it's not just like mono red aggro or mono white aggro, then there's a decent chance that the cards that you're looking for just aren't going to be the cards that other people are looking for. And so you can just like go in knowing these are the cards that I want and uh, get them. Whereas like in regular uh, like retail drafts, the archetypes are more just like color A plus color B and, you know, being behind two red drafters is just going to mean that like you don't get to draft red or whatever. Whereas with a cube, a large portion of the cards are playable if you know which deck you want to put them in. And if you're, you know, if you know where you want to end up and you're like know how to prioritize the cards that are taken highly to be able to end up there, I think that it makes sense that forcing is a little easier to pull off. Uh, this should suggest that green would uh, most likely be open. Um, how should green decks look if so? I, I think that green wants to ramp. I think that like the one mana elves in particular are very good. And uh, as I mentioned when I was just talking about the top performing cards, I think you want to be ramping into uh, cards that aren't cleanly answered by a single removal spell. So Planeswalkers and cards like Essica's Chariot that give you some kind of immediate value. Uh, the Groundbreaker guy that sacks land to make two factories is pretty good. I think that you don't want to go too big. I think that you want to just like, you know, mostly be like ramping to four and five drops and you want to like avoid some of the cards that really excel in like grindy interactive mid-range mirrors like timeless witness and tireless tracker and Briarbridge tracker uh and focus more on just kind of like slamming proactive haymakers in spots where you can like get a blue opponent to like tap out for something um and then play something that like they can't recover from very well how many two-mana removal spells are you looking to put in a control deck? I think that in red, I'm not looking to like super highly prioritize, especially the sorcery speed two-mana removal spells. I like to have some. I also might undervalue them. It kind of feels like they're pretty important a lot of the time. Especially in best of three, I definitely like to have access to a lot of them so that I can uh, side them in against aggressive decks. Uh, given that this is... So I should note that uh, the data that I was looking at was for best of one draft because uh, the sample sizes are large enough that it might mean something, whereas uh, there's not a lot of data available in traditional draft. I do think that uh, traditional draft is meaningfully different from best of one. I think that uh, you really want to pay attention to prioritizing cards that line up really well against uh, like certain subsets of decks. Like I think cards like Disdainful Stroke and Spell Pierce and any cheap removal and sweepers uh, that have polarized matchups um, go from pretty bad as early picks in uh, best of one to very good picks in best of three. I think being able to tune the interactive spells in your deck to line up well against your opponent is a very high priority in this arena cube in particular, um, because I think that the fact that you often should be playing fewer colors means that you don't need to prioritize lands, which means that you can afford to prioritize more spells and specifically more sideboard cards. 
and having a really good sideboard and being able to adjust to uh, each individual matchup, I think is going to be a very large factor in uh, best of three matches with uh, this arena cube open in particular. So I do think that you really want to be uh, trying to draft a deck and a sideboard in a very real way as kind of, I think, the most important thing to highlight for this arena open that might differ from uh, your usual play on arena if you're used to playing best of one and other arena cubes. And I, I really think that the importance of sideboarding in best of three in cube really can't be overstated. I think that if you are someone who usually drafts best of one, uh, and you're planning to uh, put serious effort into the cube open, you should really try some uh, best of three drafts and get used to you know figuring out which which those cards are that you need access to and how to sideboard with them. And I think I'm going to wrap it up on that note. So thanks everyone for listening. Good luck to those of you who are playing uh, with this cube in the arena open this weekend. And a reminder that next week we are going to start looking at Wildsville Drain. So it's exciting. And uh, yeah, bye for now. And I'll be back next week with that Wilds of Eldraine first look. All right, bye everyone. Prepare for light speed.